So good morning, church. It's uh, it's great to be back in uh, building at the hub, even though it's a wee bit more empty than usual. Uh, we've been doing our social distancing as we've been recording. Uh, so I get the privilege again this week to uh, to bring the word, and uh, it's something that uh, has just hit me uh, as I've been reading uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, today I want to look at a word that um, many of you are probably familiar with, and it's called repentance. Uh, and so I want to look briefly into that this morning and uh, see what God wants to say to us. So uh, I want to establish just some truths about it. I want to uh, look at some principles that we find in the Word of God and uh, help us get a grasp of this Word and what actually it can do in our lives. Uh, and so this week, as uh, I was reading through uh, some Facebook stuff, uh, Pete Craig from 24-7 Prayer, he shared this post. He said, something is stirring in the UK. There, I've said it. I've hesitated to write this post. It's probably premature. We're still bang slap in the middle of a vast crisis and no one really knows how it's all going to end. But here's the thing. Over recent weeks, and particularly over the last week, prayers that some of us have been praying for decades suddenly seem to be finding answers in the most unexpected ways. The UK blessing has been watched more than 200 times every minute. There's been a prayer surge of 3 million people turning to prayer. Even Russell Brand has put a video on YouTube. If you haven't watched it, have a little watch and see his eccentric video on prayer. The church, uh, church engagement online has went up by 19%. 18 to 34-year-olds are engaging more now than ever in church. Public opinion of God is changing for the good and something is igniting in our nation. He goes on to say, my friends, this is the time to pray with greater faith Preach with greater confidence and plan with great ambition. It's not everything, but it's something. So let's dare to believe. So why am I reading all that out? The reason I'm reading all that out is because more now than ever, we as Christians, we as a church need to be built on a solid foundation and be ready for what God is doing. But also there's going to be a surge in people giving their lives to Jesus. And we need to understand what is happening in their lives, where they're at and the process of discipleship in which, uh, on the journey in which they're on. And so um, what I want to share with you this morning is called this, repentance, a journey, not a destination. Repentance, a journey, not a destination. And so my understanding of repentance obviously started whenever I was a, a young boy. I was brought up, my dad was a pastor. And uh, whenever I was 12 years old, I said a prayer of which in the middle of it, I would have repented, but I really didn't understand it. And to be honest, most days after that, I probably said another prayer of repentance every day just to make sure I was saved. Um, I wasn't really sure of what I'd done. It was only when I was 21 years old that I actually really came to a place where I got on my knees and I fully gave my life to Jesus. I repented, I think, properly for the first time and started afresh in my relationship with Jesus. You see, here's the key. For a long time, as a pastor's son, I knew the truth about God. I knew the things I needed to know. I knew how to, how to speak. I knew the way to behave. But it got in the way of my desires. It got in the way of the things that I actually really wanted to do and the way I wanted to behave. And so I put it to the back. Uh, I said a wee prayer in bad days, I'll be honest. There were days where I just said a wee prayer because I needed to feel better. But it wasn't actually changing or transforming anything in my life. And so uh, when I became a Christian, yes, I repented. But actually, 
it became more of a ritual for me. I remember reading a book by Bill Hybels, Too Busy Not to Pray. It's still a really good book. But it got you into this place where at the start of your prayer, you always repented. And that's a good way to start. But for me, it became just a list every day of, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that. And no transformation took place. So what about you? What's your view of repentance? Uh, maybe it's a religious word that makes you feel strange or you don't like it or you don't understand it. Maybe you picture an old man in a suit on a pulpit um, saying you must repent. Maybe um, for you, it's just like me when I was younger. I'm sorry. All it means is I'm sorry. Or maybe it's a part of a prayer that people say when they get saved or give their lives to Jesus. Maybe it's a person who's preaching on the street and sometimes maybe you felt preaching at you and using the word repentance. Or maybe it's a word that you've never heard before. And last one, maybe it's a word that you actually have a great love for because it represents the day that you gave your life to Jesus and repented of the sins in your life. I'm going to use the word repent a lot today. But you know what? In the word of God, it speaks an awful lot about this word repentance. And it is the first place that we have to stop on our journey of faith. It is the building block on which we build the rest of our relationship with Jesus and our life with Jesus. And so for us as Christians, it is the action that we immediately perform upon salvation. So as soon as we encounter Jesus and we see the need for him in our lives, the first thing we do is repent. It's a natural progression because something happened when we encounter Jesus that leads to us saying, God, I need you and I need you to transform my life. So think about foundations for a little minute. If the foundations of a property are not laid correctly, the building is going to be faulty and it's going to be shaky. It's going to have some obvious weaknesses. And the same can be said for us as Christians if we don't understand what repentance actually does in our lives. Hebrews 6 verse 1 says this, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God again. So what it's saying here is there are certain sins in your life. There are certain things that you should not still be doing. He's talking about milk. You shouldn't be still drinking baby milk. I need my church in this season to start to stand up and to be the mature men and women of God, help build my kingdom. And so there are certain things that I done 10 years ago that I don't do now because I dealt with them when I came to know Jesus. He's talking about sins that harm your building blocks. Key things in your life that you need to lay down and give to Jesus and repent of so that you can build on solid foundations. You know, I still have to repent every day and I'm probably going to have to repent every day for the rest of my life. But there are certain things that I used to do I don't do now because God has dealt with them on my behalf because I have given them to him. And so this is why it's close to the heart of God. He understands that to build, we need solid foundations starting 
with repentance. Do you know it's mentioned up to 60 times in the New Testament? And so that tells me two things. It tells me, one, that it is important for us to pay attention to what uh, repenting is. And number two, it tells me that it's important to God. And if it's important to him, it should be important to us. I think it's asking us this, to, to start to ask, explore, look into it in the word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Do you know it was the first message of the gospel in John, uh, by, from John in Matthew 3.12? It was the first words in the message of Jesus in Matthew uh, 4.17, where Jesus said this, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. It was the first words of Paul in his message in Acts. And so it's clear that it's something we need to pay attention to. It's something that we need to build on. And it's a pattern in the word of God. But the question, I've talked all the stuff about repentance. The question is this, how do I apply it to my life? And what is it? And so in the last couple of weeks, this is the passage that I felt God speaking to me through. And it's in James 4. If you want to turn to it in your Bibles, James 4, we're going to read verse 8 to 10. And I'm going to read it from the voice translation this morning. And it says this, starting at verse 8. Come close to the one true God, and he will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you who have dirtied them in sin. Cleanse your heart because of your, because of your mind is split down the middle and your love for God on one side and your selfish pursuit on the other. Now is the time to lament, to grieve and to cry and repent. Dissolve your laughter into sobbing and exchange your joy for depression. Lay yourself bare, face down to the ground in humility before the Lord and he will lift up your head so you can stand tall. Now that sounds like a really depressing verse. And you know what? There are some Christians we don't need to try and behave like that because some of us, we don't, doesn't look like we've encountered the joy of the Lord. But something good comes out of it at the end. He lifts our head tall. He fills us with something that we cannot get in this world. We'll get on to that. So what are we mourning over? What are we told to lament over? Ultimately, it's this. It's the sin in our lives. It's those things that he says are splitting our mind. They're making you go crazy because you know, it's that verse that Paul talks about, I know I'm not meant to do it. I know I'm not meant to behave like this. I know I should be dealing with this, but I can't. It's these things that tear our minds, tear our hearts apart because of the flesh and the war that's going on. But ultimately, he's saying we need to repent over this and we need to lament. We're going to go on a wee bit more about that later. So the word, the word in Greek for repent is metanoia, which means change of mind or about turn. Believe it or not, I used to do figure marching for the BB back in the day. So we used to do the about turn, turn your back on it, get away from it. And so that has been my understanding of uh, what repentance is for years, is that Greek word metanoia, change of mind, turn my back on it, get away from it, which is okay, which is true. But actually, there's so much more because it's not just a mindset. It's not just something I do in my mind. It's something that has to move from my mind to my heart. Charles Finney describes it as this, changing your mind from what you have believed on a given subject to what God has revealed on that subject. Now that's important because repentance is not something that you just decide to do. It's getting the perspective of God and then 
something happens and then you turn around. But there's more to repentance and it can be found in Matthew 3 verse 8. And it says this, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Now, what does that mean? Because that's a pretty old school line that I've just said there. In modern language, it's this, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. This word meat in the Greek is axiom, which means value. So what it's saying is that the fruit should have equal value to your repentance. What it's saying is this, the outward showing of your repentance when put on the scale should be balanced. That means that what you have given over to the Lord with regards to mindset, sins that are happening in your life, the way you react, the way you talk about someone, we could go on and on and on. The fruit of the outworking of the visible signs of those should be the same as what you have given in private to the Lord in repentance. So it's not just a turning around. It's not just a change of mind. There actually has to be an outworking of the fruit that comes from that time repenting before the Father. It's a representation of your heart. And also it's this. It's a demonstration of the kingdom at work. The old is gone and the new has come. It's visible in you. So people, whenever you give your life to Jesus and you repent, when people start to spend time with you, they should ask, what is new? What has happened with this person? And on a side note, one of the first outward signs uh, of repentance is baptism. It's an outward sign to the world saying, I have given my life to Jesus and I want to follow him through the waters of repentance and baptism. It's so easy to say sorry and go on as normal. It's really easy in the heat of the moment to make promises. I've done that. I'm sure we've all done that. But verse 9, it says, what I want is contrition. So James 4 verse 9, it's a state of remorse, a state of mourning. Be sad and cry. You know that contrition is proof of conviction. Why? What's the difference between contrition and conviction? Conviction, you can have something in your heart and say, oh, I feel really convicted about that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. We've all been there. But you might not be truly sorry. The difference of contrition is that something truly deep happens. And for me, it comes from this word that he says in James 4 of lamenting. It's time to lament. The definition of lament is to express grief or sorrow passionately. Passionately express grief or sorrow. And do you know what happens? As we take time to stop, and to come before the Lord into his presence, we get a glimpse of the destructive power of sin in our lives. We get a glimpse of what it does to his heart as he sees us as his sons and daughters living in places that he doesn't want us to live and staying in places he doesn't want us to stay. We see our sin for what it truly is. That's what lamenting is. That's why it calls in James for us to take time to be sorrowful over the things in our lives that shouldn't be there. 
It's a change of perspective. You know, Alexander Venter says a change in perspective means a change in practice, or it's no change at all. A change in perspective means a change in practice, or it's no change at all. There should be a visible expression of the change that has happened as we encounter Jesus in repentance. James wants us to see our sin for the warts and all. He says, dissolve your laughter into sobbing, your joy into happiness. Here's the reason why. He wants us to ensure that we are thinking clearly. Because the devil wants to blind us. He wants to distract us. He wants us to think, do you know what? That's okay to do that. Everybody else gets away with it. It's okay to think like that in private. It's okay to behave like that. It's okay to say those things. I'm as guilty. But you know what happens when you come into the presence of the Lord? You start to grieve over those things that you've said about someone. You start to grieve over those ways that you've behaved. Because in light of the love that comes from the Father, in light of what he has done for you and me on the cross, you do not want to stay there. And so you repent out of your lamenting. I know this is confusing. God knows everything about us. So why do we need to repent? Because he sees the damage that it does to us physically and mentally and spiritually. And he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to make the right choices that will affect our lives and affect his kingdom. And so God doesn't want to control people. He actually gave us free will. Do you know that? He gave us free will. You can see it in the world. He provides us with options and empowers us to make the right choices in our lives. And it's the same with how we repent. Do you know, obedience comes from the heart, but legalism comes from the mind. Legalism is enforced by fear, but obedience because of love. It's this love that says, I do not want to stay here. And the Father speaks over us and he says, I do not want you to stay where you're at because there is so much more. At the end of the verse we read from James, it said, I want to take you from that place of mourning to make you stand up, to lift your head up and to be able to stand tall with confidence. So where do we start with all this? I want to, uh, I'll not say end off because uh, there's, there's still a few more minutes left yet. But where do we start with all this? Let's look at uh, some practical and spiritual responses that we can make. And for me, the key is found in James 4. Again, verse 8. At the very start of it, God always gives you the answer. It's this. Draw close. Move closer to me. And so repentance is not something that can happen alone. It's not something that can happen because I just decide to do it. It is not accomplished by ourselves. It happens as we draw close and we wait for the Lord. Do you know, before uh, I became a Christian, what I realized was as a pastor's son, I, I knew things. I was brought up well. I knew the, knew the gospel. I knew the word of God. But I hadn't encountered and I hadn't met Jesus. The key to all of this, and even for you if you're listening and you don't know Jesus, or for people that you're praying for that don't know Jesus, the key is this. You need to stop and let the living God encounter you. 
he wants you to draw close to him. Because whenever you let that happen, when that happens to people you're praying for, they're going to see God in a new way. Their mind is going to be illuminated. And I believe that we're going to come into a season where people are going to be repenting. There's going to be a revival in this land. I got off track. If you're radically saved, if you were radically saved, you can uh, testify to those moments when the presence of God invades your life or comes into the room where you are or it's in a place where you're worshipping. My goodness, something amazing happens. So for me, what does practically drawing close to God look like? For me, to be honest, it's this. It's stopping long enough to hear his voice. It's realizing how much he loves me. It's uh, coming into the word of God. And as I start to read some scriptures over myself, it's believing the promises that God speaks to me. It's starting to pray the word of God over me. It's uh, coming to a place where I start to lament, where I start to see the things that need to change. And then it leads to repentance. And yes, for me, sometimes that's on a daily basis. So it's stopping. It's hearing from the Holy Spirit. It's reading his word. It's realizing what God is speaking over me. And it's taking time to think about that and process that. You know, whenever we sin, it drives us away from God. And that's what the enemy wants. The devil wants us to remain in guilt and shame. He wants us to stay away. But this verse very clearly says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It doesn't say if you've sinned, don't think about it. If you've had a bad day, don't think about it. It says, draw near to me and I will. So on those days, practically talking about it, where I've had a really bad day, and I feel like I have let God down. As I read James 8, and I say to myself, it tells me if I draw near to him, he promises he is going to be there with me. It gives me a new perspective. It changes how I feel about myself. It changes how I view others. And so I'm not asking you this morning uh, to focus on your sin. I'm not saying that repenting is focusing on our sins and our problems but it's stopping long enough to take stock of what they do in our lives, the effects that they have on our lives. And actually then the perspective of God comes in. It's seeing the transformation that could happen with him involved in this process. And so the journey is more important than the destination in this. This is not just about a golden ticket to heaven. This is a time now where God wants to make you the best that you can possibly be. He wants to fill you full of his presence. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you everything that he has to build his kingdom right now. And so think about the children of Israel. It took them 40 years to do a journey that was only 11 days because God was in a process with his people. They were learning to abide in him. The children of Israel had to learn to camp around his presence. And that's the key to true repentance. The key to repentance is learning how to camp around the presence of God, keep short accounts with the Father so that on a daily basis you can align your heart with his and he can talk to you and you can talk back. It's a process, it's a journey, and it's intentional. And it has to be built on the right foundations. It has to be built on a solid foundation. Let me give you a little illustration. 
I hate the dentist. I absolutely hate the dentist. I have memories of whenever I was five years old and there was about five or six nurses and dentists. I don't know what the nurses dentists are called. But I was in Creek Avon Hospital wanting to get a tooth taken out. I wasn't wanting it. They wanted me to get it taken out. And I have this memory of five of them running around the table after me because they were going to put an injection in my mouth. And my dad came bursting in. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. He saved the day. It was great if you're listening. Thank you so much. But here's what happened. They, because I was so nervous, they'd, they'd done a little bit of work on my teeth. And not long after it, I had to go back again. And they had to do the same teeth. And this is the reason they gave me. Because I was so nervous, they only done a little bit of work and they didn't get all of the decay out. So when I went back, the decay had actually settled underneath the filling and it started to eat away at the tooth even more and caused more damage than was previously there before. And how does this work with repentance? If you do not deal with the root of the problem properly, it's going to come back worse than ever before. And this is what God is talking about um, from the scripture I read at the start in Hebrews. We need to deal with it at the start so that we don't have to deal with it again with a vengeance in the future. Dick Iverson says this, when it comes to repentance, people seem to want a painless religious experience only to discover that the work of conversion is not totally done. These new Christians still harbor bitterness and resentment. They refuse to forgive and, can see any, and can't see anything wrong with some of the sins in their lives. They are always in need of propping up and unstable. That's the definition of not getting your tooth dealt with properly. It comes back. You're unstable. And so repentance does this. It makes us whole people. It makes us whole people. Because he wants to help us through the things that we're struggling with. And do you know what else? That's what community's for. That's why he gives us the churches that we can go to, the people that we can do this journey with, the ones that we trust, that we can, they can help us through this. You know, sometimes um, when I'm coaching at Ambassadors, I have no players I've had to do this with. I've had it done to me in rugby before. But there are players that come out and they think they are Ronaldo. Or in my case, I love Joan Lumu. I thought I was Joan Lumu. I wasn't. But they come out and they think they're brilliant. And do you know what one, some of the problems are? They have other people around them like their parents. Oh, yes, you're brilliant. You're the best player. But when they come to being coached, sometimes you have to stop them and say, listen, you need to work on this to improve your game. Or actually, you're not as good at this as you think you are. Why am I saying this? Because sometimes with, with repentance, there's some things that we need other people around us to help us with. There's people that we need around us that we trust that can help us see the things that are blinding us. You know, we, we compartmentalize our sin. We think, that's okay. I can get away with that. That's good. There are times that we think we are further along the road than we are. And this is the key for repentance and community. It's so good to have people that love you. That's the key, that love you. I want to see the best for you that are able to say, listen, this is something I think you need to work on. And I'm grateful for the people that do that in my life. So community is key. So to finish up, I want to look at a few basic principles um, that I've written down over the last few days 
for repentance. I hope you're still with me. The first one is this, patience. 1 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, His delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It reinforces even more what I've said about process. He doesn't expect us to get this overnight because he knows that it's going to take a long time for some of us to deal with some of the things in our lives. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But also at the same time, I feel that the Father is saying you need to be patient with yourself. You need to be patient with yourself because sometimes we are our own worst enemies. It's that famous quote, Rome was not built in a day. This is going to take a while for some of us. But here's, here's the key to it. Sin is something that can visit but not move in. There's a difference when something visits and different when something makes its habitation within you. And so it should be the rule and not the practice. The next one's focus. You know, sin wants us to focus on us. Oh, woe is me. Me, 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 me. It wants us to focus on us in guilt and shame. But actually, repentance does the, the opposite. It helps us to look up and then look out. Because he is saying to you, you are made in my image. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Repentance helps us look up and then give away what he has given us and changes our focus. The next one's choice. Bruce Almighty uh, in the film uh, where he is uh, given the job of being God for a while, Bruce says this to God, how do you make people with free will love you? And the key is that he doesn't. And as I said earlier, he gives us opportunities to make the right choices. He gives us opportunities to make the right choices. Uh, Pooh, Pooh Bear in the film Winnie the Pooh, I've been watching a lot of kids' films at home, you can tell. He says, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. Some of us, we have choices to make right now. I guarantee you there are things in your life right now, I have them too, that you know that you need to make the right choice and to walk away from certain habits, certain mindsets and certain behaviours. The next one is that repenting is a process. It takes time. Look at King David. Look at Moses. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. They all failed. But the key for them was this, their posture before God. He knew that they loved them. You know that God desires relationship over obedience. He's looking for an intimate relationship as you draw close to him. And the beautiful thing that comes out of relationship is obedience. Because whenever you see his love, you want to be obedient back in love. And so it's a process of learning. And do you know what happens in that process? You learn what it is to get it wrong. And that's good. And that's okay. The next one is stewardship, because in repentance we get this wonderful gift of grace. First Thessalonians 5 verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us to experience wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Possess salvation, what does that mean? That means take ownership. It's a gift that we've been given that we need to take ownership of and to steward. 
We need to steward what he has given us. And whenever, whenever we are in that place of repentance, as we come before God and we lament and we grieve and we see what it's doing to him, we see what it's doing to us, he's saying, steward well what I've spoken to you in this moment. Steward well the things that have happened in your heart that I have said to you, the gems that I have given you, the revelation that I have given you. Steward it as you repent before me. Remember the things that I have done for you and remember what you've said to me in this secret, quiet moment. In the Bible, there are people that took ownership and didn't take ownership. Zacchaeus, if you remember that story, whenever he gave his life to Jesus, he went out and gave everything back that he had taken wrongfully as a tax collector and more. There was fruit of his repentance and he stewarded it well. The rich young ruler, do you remember him? How can I get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, Give everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor. He couldn't do it. He didn't want to steward what he had been given. Look at Peter. Peter said, I don't know Jesus three times. But actually, he stewarded well his response to that. And he ended up being the main man, the principal preacher for the disciples that led thousands of people to Jesus. The next one is valuing the repentance. Do you know that the things we value will have the greatest influence over us. And when we lose sight, we lose value. When we lose sight, we lose value. We need to place value on this gift that God has given us. When we forget what God has done, we forget of the power that is available to us through him, the power to rebuild and redeem our lives and others around us. And the last one is perspective. You know, when we catch a glimpse of the Father's view of us, the Father's view of our sin, the Father's view of our neighbor, and the Father's view of those family and friends that you've been praying for for years and years, then it's going to change your perspective. It's going to change how you feel. It's going to change how you react. Let me just finish up. Imagine us as a family on a mission, a church. Imagine a people of God where we have built on a solid, firm foundation. We have learnt through our rhythms and practices with the Father, listening to the Holy Spirit, getting into his word, letting it sink deep, being in a community of people that love us, I want to champion us and see the best for us. Learning how to repent well and to start off well and be discipled well. Imagine people built on those firm foundations who have dealt, dealt with the things in their lives that will cause the cracks later on. We're not perfect by any means, but we're whole and we're on a process of abiding with the Father. We're on a journey of redemption and renewal and restoration. Do you know that this is our opportunity to use the gifts and fruit of the Spirit to build well personally, to build well as a church family, to build well as a nation that love God as we, on a daily basis, align our hearts with him? John Tyson said that we are being asked to be a witness and a sign to the divine. Repentance should show fruit in us that is a witness to the divine God 
living in us. We are to point to him. I feel that repentance can be summed up in this one line. It's carrying a realization that Jesus is alive. It is carrying a realization that Jesus is alive and that infiltrates every single thing we do on a daily basis. Jesus is alive and because he is alive, I'm alive. And because he is alive, his kingdom is alive. The power is available to you and me to go and make disciples of all the nations. I want to ask you one more question as I finish this morning. One more question. Do people see you and leave saying, Jesus is alive? Do people meet you and walk away saying, Jesus is alive? Oh my goodness. Jesus is alive. Why? Because I just seen him in that man or that woman that walked past me, that I met, I encountered Jesus through someone I spoke to today. When people leave you, do they say, Jesus is alive? Amen. Have a good day.